faith works. This is the message of James, that we, in our own ability, cannot stand in the face of adversity. We could never find the strength to trust without faith. Because we don't have the capability to see above the trials that we meet, to keep our eyes focused on the King while counting the situation we are currently experiencing as joy. Faith works. This is the essence of James. We don't work to be saved. We work because we are saved. Without faith, without works, we too quickly become that man in the mirror staring at his face, but then forgets the way he looks as soon as he turns away. But with faith, with works, we stay steadfast on this journey, progressively sanctified, knowing we'll be perfected once we reach the other side. Faith works. This is the cry of James, that faith apart from works can never be sustained, that in every day and in every way we should see this truth proclaimed because it's faith that makes us doers of the word, not just hearers. It's faith that keeps us humble, not proud. It's faith that directs our tongues to bless, not to curse. It's faith that causes us to show mercy, not judgment. It's faith that leads us to true religion, not its empty substitute. And it's faith that's causing us to preach the good news to every tribe, tongue, and nation with every breath that we breathe. And it will be faith that causes us to worship our God for all eternity. This is the message of James. Faith works. How many of us this morning are watching the NBA Finals with the Toronto Raptors and the Golden State Warriors? It's a pretty exciting time, isn't it? Even if you're not a basketball fan, like I'm not a basketball fan, um, but I'm, even, I'm watching these games because this is pretty cool, right? All these Jurassic Parks are being set up all across the country so where we can gather with our friends and family, we can, we can party as the Toronto Raptors hopefully are gonna win tomorrow night. This is pretty cool. Now imagine for a moment if all these 16 guys plus their coaches and, and all, these, all their other people that go with them arrive at Gateway Church next week Sunday morning. Wouldn't that be kind of cool? They come through our doors and are dressed in their fine suits and they're looking pretty good. And these are tall guys, so they're going to stand out. And, and we get kind of this buzz and there's, there's this bit of excitement in the lobby. And we want to go up to them and we, we want to shake their hand. A absolutely. We got to go up to them and shake their hand. We got to introduce ourselves. And if we're feeling so bold, we're going to take out our phones and we're going to start taking some selfies with the Toronto Raptors. It's kind of fun. Then they come to the doors and the ushers are standing there saying, where are we going to put these guys? And they're going to come in and they're probably going to set them probably maybe two, three rows from the front right over there. And it's going to be a buzz. We're all going to kind of be watching when they're walking in. And then we're going to, all of a sudden, we realize they're sitting in front of us. And we kind of nudge and we kind of you know, tell our parents, you know, these are the Toronto Raptors. They're sitting in front of us. And we kind of think, how are we going to get our autograph? And we pull out our bulletin and it's kind of like, eh, that's not so good. But, and we all have our Bibles now to church, right? So we take out our Bible and we hand our Bible over and they sign our Bibles because this is exciting stuff. And then all of a sudden we kind of think, what would happen if, if, just if, we're so lucky and we can have them all line up on the stage here and we can start taking some pictures 
of the Toronto Raptors, and then we joined them afterwards for a gateway church picture with the Toronto Raptors right here on our stage next week Sunday. If that were to happen, I'd venture to say that the Toronto Raptors coming to Gateway Church would be a topic of conversation around our lunch tables next week. Am I right? Now imagine, also, if next week, 16 of our guests from the Extreme Weather Shelter come to Gateway Church. They would be noticeable. They perhaps wouldn't be wearing the fine suits that the Toronto Raptors would be wearing, but they would definitely be noticeable, wouldn't they? Their clothes would look a little filthy. They would probably be a little ripped, a little torn. Some of us, we might even grab our children and pull our children a little bit closer to ourselves because we don't quite know who these people are. They look a little shady. They're a little seedy. And and can we truly trust these guests of ours? We better tell the ushers. The ushers better know that these 16 people came to our church because if one of them happens to walk out during the service, they're probably going to go to one of our bathrooms and they're going to end up shooting up. And what's going to happen if, for instance, our child is in the bathroom with them? Or maybe they're just going to wander the church and we're not really going to know where they are. And heaven forbid they take something. And then the ushers are at the door, and they're going to usher them in. And we're kind of sitting here thinking, please don't let them sit by us. Please don't let them sit by us, because their hygiene, perhaps it's not the best. And, and they're probably not going to sit as well as they should, and heaven forbid that they perhaps take coffee into our church. I'll tell you this much, we're not going to be sitting there saying, can we get their autograph? Or maybe we'll get these these 16 of our guests up on stage. We're not going to be asking for a group picture with those guests. My guess is, if we had 16 of our guests from the extreme weather shelter, our, our guess is probably like, you know, don't bring them to the front. Maybe, just maybe, perhaps it's best that they sit in the back corner over there because then they can kind of slip out before we have to deal with them after church on a Sunday morning for coffee. My guess is, if we had 16 of our guests show up next week Sunday, that would be a topic of conversation around our tables, wouldn't it? Our scripture reading today is from James. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn to James chapter 1. If you have your Bible apps, please open that up to James 1. If you have neither of those, it'll be on the screen behind us. We will be reading from James 1, starting at verse 27, going to James chapter 2, verse 13. James chapter 1, verse 27, reads as follows. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after the orphans and the widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit at my feet, Have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? 
Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. It is not the rich who are exploiting you. Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So far the reading of God's word this morning. The ending of chapter 1 of the book of James on which Pastor Justin touched on so wonderfully last week in a sermon entitled Despicable Religions ends with James giving a very practical example of living out the Christian faith. James states this, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, take care of the orphans and the widows and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Being polluted by the world. Have you ever thought for a moment what that means? I have. Because I can only imagine that when Paul wrote this letter, that being polluted by the world means something so vastly different today than what it did for them when they read this letter for the first time. Paul must have been thinking that his readers would have responded the same way that I did and and wonder what in the world does it mean to be polluted by the world? Because James goes on in in the next number of books or next number of chapters to give 12 practical examples of what it means to be separated, to not be polluted by the world. And and he's not giving these things to you as as this golden ticket, your your go-to-heaven-free ticket. He's just saying, here are 12 examples of what it is like for you as a believer in our Lord Jesus Christ to be different, to be set apart. You see, the book of James was written for more than just to inform us as believers. It was meant to transform us as believers, to be the salt and the light of the world. Matthew 5 states this, You, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine so that others may glorify our Lord in heaven. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, now, James, this is all fine and dandy, James, but how do we as a church live differently? How do we no longer be polluted by the world where the world is making it so difficult to be a church? How do we not be polluted by a world that makes the pollution so enticing 
and so encouraging and so enriching and so feel good for our soul. How do we go about doing that? And then James starts out chapter two and he says, you wanna know, fellow believers? Do, Do you really want to know how to be different, how to find a faith, how to live a faith that God finds acceptable? And he says this, don't show favoritism. Chapter two, verse one reads like this. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. So what is favoritism? Favoritism that James is referring to here is respect for a person based on the outward appearance of that person and not their intrinsic merit. So in other words, don't judge a person based on their outward appearance. But it's so easy to do, isn't it? It's so easy. It's so quick to make this snap judgment of a person just because they look a little bit different than we do. They may perhaps wear clothes that a a true Canadian wouldn't wear. They wear different head coverings. Their skin is a little different. Their eyes are a little bit more slanted. Their nose not quite as pointed as ours. She has has a child but no father. What's up with that? Or or he always comes to church, but but the wife never comes. Quick snap judgments. It's so easy to do. I think we're all perhaps somewhat a little bit guilty of this. Because you see, favoritism can take on a few different faces. Favoritism can take on the face of racism. Racism is the belief that you are superior to another based on one's personality, on their behavior, and or their morals. Okay, so to think that an Asian is better at math, the Dutch are stubborn, the Jews are stingy, indigenous people are lazy, these are all racist thoughts. You think you should hire person A, and not person B because person A is white and person B is not. Racist thoughts. And if we believe that racism is us making a judgment based on one's behaviors or morals, then when we drive down Gladys Avenue and we come past the Salvation Army and we see our homeless friends sitting, sitting there and we think to ourselves, if only those lazy bums would get a job. Or we drive down to the more expensive areas of Abbotsford and we drive down these beautiful windy roads and see these big mansions and we think, oh man, I'm so glad I'm not one of those bunch of rich snobs that live in Noah's house with my nose so high up in the air. If we believe that racism is based on morals and behaviors, it's not such a far leap to start thinking that those thoughts fall within this category. Racism or favoritism shows its ugly face in racism. And then favoritism can show its ugly face in discrimination. See, because discriminating against a person is following through 
on our racist thoughts. When you don't hire somebody because of their nationality, their age, or their gender, that's discrimination. When we refuse to help those poor people because you think you are better than them, because you think, by the grace of God, I have a job and I had a proper upbringing, that's discrimination. If you don't help the rich or the wealthier people of our society, because, well, after all, they got the money to fix the problem themselves, don't they? It's discrimination. When you join in on inappropriate jokes, insults, name-calling, or display posters and cartoons directed at a person because of their race, their gender, their sexual orientation, these are all forms of discrimination. Favoritism really has nothing to do with who they are, but more to do with how we act out our perceptions of who they are. I'll say that again. Favoritism has really nothing to do with who they are, but more on how we are acting out our perception of them. We act this way for whatever reason. We think our race, our way of life, is far superior to theirs. So we act this out. How arrogant is that? Favoritism, it's, it's, it's a slippery slope. Thus, James is so clear in his word, and he doesn't sugarcoat this. He doesn't beat around the bush. He's clear and simple. Do not show favoritism. Don't give the Toronto Raptors the front seat of, the, of our church and then homeless Joe the back row. Just don't do it. As believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, we must act differently. The church must act differently. Matthew 7 says this, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, and with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. I'm reminded of a story of a man who was going on a boat trip. And he had to bunk with another man who he did not know. And they, they briefly met each other as they were boarding the boat. So they got to know each other just a little bit at that time. And as the man entered his room, he saw his new roommate. He was sitting on the bunk, and they had some polite conversations as they got to know each other. And it didn't take long before this man, he kind of went and he kind of gathered all his, his personal private belongings, the, the expensive stuff that he took along on this trip. And he went to the boat steward and he said to the boat steward, can you please take this stuff and can you put it in the boat, in the safe, in the boat? And, and the steward's like, okay. And he says, the man says, well, I want you to do this because I don't quite trust my new roommate and I don't know what he's going to do with this. I, I hope you understand and the steward kind of chuckles and he says, oh yeah, I understand because your roommate was just here to do the exact same thing. <laughs> See, James says in verse nine, if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as a lawbreaker. Now, I don't know about you, but as I was preparing for today, I began to feel tremendously convicted. I have messed up in this area. I'll be honest with you, I have. I have said racial jokes. 
I have discriminated against people. I have displayed favoritism in my life more often than I truly want to admit with you. And in doing so, I have not been a good example to my kids or to my wife. But how about you? Have you gone down that slippery rope, uh, slope of favoritism as James has laid it out this morning? Have you displayed this, this form of racism in your life? Whether that's at school, at work, your sports team. Have you discriminated against those that are a little bit different than us? See, James is wanting us to wrestle. He wants us to wrestle with the truth. He desires for us to look at ourselves and to be honest in our thinking. He wants us to do more than just inform us about favoritism. He wants us to wrestle with the reality of favoritism in our lives. What James desires through the working of the Holy Spirit is for us to be transformed. Remember how James started chapter 2? Take a look. It'll be up on the screen. It says, Believers in our Lord, glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. James is writing this letter to those that proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. He is writing this letter to those, to those that proclaim to be Christians. In his opening line, he reminds his readers, he reminds us this morning who we are. He reminds us of our glorious Lord Jesus Christ and that we belong to him. I am the son. You are the son and the daughter of our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. It is him who we belong to. It is him who we are worshiping this morning because he is Lord. As the Heidelberg Catechism gives them question and answer number one states, and, and you probably know this quite well, what is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the good news of the gospel. Because of who God is and his great mercy for us, we can forgive much. We deserve death, but out of the glorious Lord Jesus Christ, we have life. And because you and I have been given so much mercy by our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, we need to look at others in the same way because of who God is. Our attention needs to be focused on our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, not on us. We need to stop being so self-focused. Focusing our attention on our glorious Lord Jesus Christ is the eliminator of favoritism. Our glorious Lord Jesus Christ went to the cross and bore the sin for all, the poor, the rich, every tribe, every nation, every raptor player, every homeless guest, and for you. So who or what gives us the right to judge that one person is better than the other based on race or color of their skin or their education or their bank account or the lack thereof? That is a self-proclaimed right, not a godly right. 
Your godly right is to love your neighbor as yourself, not to judge. And we can love our neighbor as ourselves out of the overflow of God's mercy and love shown to you and to me. By focusing our attention on our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, realizing that He is the one who can eliminate favoritism in our lives, pushes us from the process of judging to loving. And this process requires three key things. It requires a time of reflecting, respecting, and renewing. And we go from from judging to loving by reflecting. The problem of favoritism is not someone else's problem. It's your problem. It's your sin. You can't pass the buck on this one. So the first step from moving from judging to loving is a serious time of self-reflection, understanding who you are and who our glorious Lord Jesus Christ is. Let's take a sneak peek at David in his time of self-reflection from Psalm 23. This is what he writes. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I'm going to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You. You. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup. My cup overflows. This is the hope that we find in self-reflecting. You are a child of the king and he restores your soul. He restores my soul. This is the great mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because just a few chapters earlier in Psalms, in chapter 8, we we read this. What is man? Really, what is man that you are mindful of him? We're mere dust. Here today, gone tomorrow, but our Lord reached down and he said, You are mine, deserving of death, but receiving life. This is the hope the gospel gives us. For we are all created in the image of the triune God. Reflecting on who we are based on who God is levels the playing field. And in doing so, one begins to realize that much mercy has been given. Therefore, much mercy must be shown. We go from judging to loving by reflecting. When the playing field is leveled because of who our glorious Lord Jesus Christ is, we begin the process of respecting. We begin to realize that what we see with our eyes, the outward appearance of another person, cannot possibly give us the complete picture of who that person is. What are their joys? What are their struggles? What are their sadnesses? 
through the process of respecting them as a person, we come to realize the complexity and the reality of their experiences, whether that's an individual or a people group. This type of respecting creates that space for understanding and for healing. Well, what is respect? It is a feeling of deep admiration for someone regardless of their circumstances. Now, this does not mean that your negative personal experience with somebody isn't valid, but those experiences do not give you the right to journey down the road of disrespect. Philippians 2 says this, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking at your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationship with one another, have the mindset of Christ Jesus. If we were to walk into every interaction, every conversation, every email, every text, every Instagram post with that mindset, the level of respect that would be developed in us for others would grow daily. Just imagine the next time homeless Joe comes on our church property or he comes into our lobby or he sits beside you in church instead of worrying and becoming concerned about the possible negatives that might happen. Try putting aside your own ambition and vain conceit and in humility value that person as created in the image of God. And instead of looking at your own interests at that moment, look at the interests of homeless Joe and have the mindset of Christ Jesus who has shown you great mercy. This is showing respect, not contempt. This is allowing our minds to be focused on our glorious Lord Jesus Christ and allowing him to transform our thinking from judging to loving. This is the transforming hope of Jesus Christ. Allow God to do his transforming work in you. And finally, we go from judging to loving by renewing. James 12, 12 states this. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. This is a major transformation in our thinking. The pollution of our world that has crept in into our thinking has taken time. This didn't just happen overnight. Thus, the transform, transformation in the renewing of our mind to remove these pollutions from our thinking takes time. It's a process. It takes intentionality. It takes us working together as a body of believers. As, Jane pray, as John David prayed, create, create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew, please, renew a right spirit within me. This should be the cry of our hearts as an individual, but it also should be the cry of our hearts as a church. When people come through the doors of our church, they should notice something different because different than what's in our polluted world. 
They should notice a place free of judgment, free of blame, free of prejudice, free of racism, free of discrimination, free of favoritism. That's what they should experience when they come to Gateway Church. In his autobiography, Mahatma Gandhi described the time that he considered converting to Christianity because he saw in the teachings of Jesus the solution to the caste system that was dividing India. On one Sunday morning, he went to one of the local churches that was there and he walked in because he wanted to talk to the pastor and say, how do I become a Christian? However, when he entered the sanctuary, the ushers at the door said to him that perhaps he should go and he should worship with his own people. Gandhi left the church and he never returned. And he later wrote this. If Christians also have a caste differences, I might as well remain a Hindu. Friends, may this never be true of Gateway. May those that come here, whether rich or poor, young or old, male or female, regardless of their tribe, their nationality, or their sexuality, may they find a church that is more than just a friendly face. May they find a church that truly welcomes them, inviting them to be part of the family of God because of who our glorious Lord is. Always remember, kind mercy always wins over harsh judgment. Kind mercy always wins over harsh judgment. Favoritism is a sin. Make no mistake about it. But thanks be to our glorious Lord Jesus Christ that he made a way for us to turn our judging into loving. And what is loving? Loving one another is patient. It is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evils, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. May that be our song. May that be our anthem. May that, brothers and sisters, may that be our faith. For our time of confession and our time of assurance, I want to pray with you the scriptures this morning. And I pray that as I read this, as we pray this together, it will be a truly a time of confession for you as we come face to face with the reality of favoritism in our lives. But may you also hear the assurance, the wonderful, beautiful assurance of our glorious Lord, Jesus Christ. Our prayer this morning comes from Psalm 51. Let's pray together. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your faithful love. According to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion. Completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. For I am conscious of my rebellion, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you alone, have I sinned, and done this evil in your sight, 
So you are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Surely, you desire integrity in the inner self. And you teach me wisdom deep within. Purify me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Turn your face away from my sin and blot out all my guilt. God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. In Christ's name we pray, amen.